Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another Bastards Hot Stove edition of the podcast. We actually have some news to talk about. No, we did not make a signing for a player, but seemingly out of nowhere, Theo Epstein is back with the Red Sox. He is now a part owner in the Fenway Sports Group, which has tons of teams in its portfolio now. And he is expected to be a senior advisor in the Red Sox front office. So tons to get to in there. I'm sure we're going to have a lot of variance with our takes, but uh, we will get into it. Joining me tonight, Charlie Smith, who's in the middle of a monsoon in Southern California. So hopefully his uh, audio uh, at least comes in. Micah Storms, ironically, so Charlie's dealing with storms, and we have Micah Storms. Yeah, man. Yeah. yeah. You want to know something funny is um, in high school, there was a TV show that um, they ran every week um, for kids who were interested in media, and I was the weatherman. I I gave the weather for the weekend, so Micah Storms, I, I was a weatherman at one time in my life with just because of my name. That's cool. Uh, we have I was a, not. We have a museum in Maine where they had like a green screen and you need to try to work the weather map, but everything's opposite. So it's like it's like totally weird. Yeah. Oh, I did that. I did that. I, I, I was legit. OK. I didn't know what the hell I was talking about in terms of like, you know, atmos- atmospheric pressure. I couldn't tell you any of that. But uh, I, I told people based on what the weather it said on weather.com. That's what I did. I just it's copied honestly, what I said. <laughs> you shouldn't feel the, the weather people don't even know what they're talking about half the time. Yeah, so that, honestly, I had no worry. Yeah, I had no worry because they're wrong and they get paid to be wrong. So if I'm wrong, whatever. Exactly. The weatherman can fake it more than anyone. The the news anchors can't fake a story. They can't give fake details. They'll, you know. They'll get called out for it. Sports people can't either, as we know. <laughs> you know, people come at us all the time for our takes and whatnot. So the weatherman, there's just so much science involved. We just have to assume he knows what he's talking about. Yeah. So anyway, so I don't think any of us when we last recorded, which was probably a week ago, foresaw that the next show would be covering Theo Epstein coming back. So uh, let's lead off with Micah. You've been a solid leadoff guy. What are your thoughts on him coming back? Shocked. Um, I I did not expect it. I think it was like a pipe dream um, back before Breslow was hired because people thought, oh, could he actually come back to the organization? And obviously the answer was no. Um, but then there was reports, I don't know, a couple weeks ago that he was in Boston and then there was like, what is he doing in Boston? You know, and I would imagine it was probably to continue to meet about this role that he is now going to be a part of. Um, overall, um, I'm thrilled. I, I really am. I really believe this is significant. Um, I think the article that uh, Sean McAdam and Chris Cotillo, they kind of co-wrote, um, kind of explaining what his role is likely to be. After reading that, I, I was very excited um, because pretty much anything that 
Theo has done in Major League Baseball, he's done successfully. Um, you know, he broke the curse for the Red Sox, broke the curse for the Cubs. Even when he was um, helping out with the commissioner's office, the, the rules that he was helping put in place, they've been a um, smashing success in baseball. Um, so the guy is just super smart and that's always a good thing to have in the organization. Now, obviously we don't know the extent of exactly how involved he's going to be because the report said that he's also going to be involved in the other things that FSG owns like Liverpool and things like that. So, you know, how much time is he going to dedicate to just the Red Sox? I guess we'll kind of wait and see. But, um, you know, with Breslow being a rookie GM, the idea that he could bounce ideas off and learn from Theo, I think, is a great um, resource for him. I, I think that that eases my a little bit of anxiety of having a first year GM, knowing that Theo is now there and can be a part of it. Um, so I, I think this is a massive deal. Again, I, I'm going to assume he's going to be a big part of just putting it all together because the, the article stated that the Red Sox privately acknowledged that they haven't put as much effort into the Red Sox as they feel they need to. And that Theo was kind of the solution to do that. And if that's the case, if he really is to bring the Red Sox back to in terms of putting resources and energy into the Red Sox, you couldn't have picked a better guy for that. I, I truly believe that. Um, I, I don't know when the turnaround happens, but the, the Red Sox have invested a lot into the personnel, into the ownership group or to the front office. And I think we will see those results, uh, maybe not in 2024, but probably 2025 and beyond. So I'm all for Theo coming back. I think it's, it's a massive PR win. The fans trust him, and hopefully, it, it's just it's the first step in the Red Sox becoming, should I say, relevant again? I hope so. Charlie, yeah, it's. I mean, just to to add on to what Mike was saying, I mean, for for almost ten years, we we had arguably the smartest guy in baseball leading a team that couldn't figure it out. And then was able to bring two titles in the span of four years. The Red Sox are the winningest team in 2000 and beyond uh, with four titles. Single-handedly, I think, carrying this team as far as decision-making and making arguably one of the damnedest calls in trading Nomar uh, for, for players that were not as well-known to, to bring us that first chip in 86 years. I think this is a huge uh, move in the right direction. As Micah was saying earlier, I think the fans have lost faith in ownership. I think a lot of people are pretty upset, pretty peeved, because for several years now, the Red Sox have been borderline irrelevant, and they're not putting a winning product out on the field. I don't care what people say. I don't care that... Rafi Devers signed a record deal. Uh, it was a massive deal, but as we've discussed and as we've seen, there was no greater plan. It was if you don't sign Rafi Devers to a huge deal, 
you're going to look like the biggest joke in Major League Baseball, and it's not going to be close. Xander Bogart signed an overpaid contract, but still, nonetheless. Mookie Betts got traded for pieces that are no longer in Boston for the most part. We have one left, but hasn't really turned out to be anything crazy. Not his fault. I don't think the expectation was ever going to be that Connor Wong was going to be the captain of the team. But, you know, two-thirds of that trade now are now, if I'm not mistaken, playing for the Yankees. So, I mean, this was highly unexpected. Um, Anybody who said, oh, yeah, Theo's going back to Boston this year would have been out of their mind. Nobody had their money on that happening because he had a pretty cushy job after, again, as Micah said, leading the Red Sox to two World Series, leading the Chicago Cubs to a World Series, and then becoming uh, a consultant for Major League Baseball overall. I think this is, you know, as we discussed, uh, a, a, a sign of heading in the right direction. I do not, however, think that this is the, okay, we're back in the green and everything's going to be great because the UFC, I think, is going to be chirping in several ears saying, if you want to win again, this is what you're going to need to do. That's, that's what it comes down to because the Boston Red Sox didn't win the World Series in 2004 and 2007 by pinching pennies. You know, the Red Sox went out and they got Kurt Schilling. They traded Nomar. They made some, some wild deals. Um in order to in order to do what need to be done and the red sox right now aren't doing anything that needs to be done other than shedding payroll so theo epstein back to boston long story short because i'm rambling now really good for the boston red sox i'm excited to see what happens i'm going to give this at least a one-year window before i make any judgment on anything theo related it also lessens i think any um opinion i have of breslow because i think breslow and theo epstein are going to be working quite a lot together all right so before i give my take i want to give a disclaimer i don't think this hurts the red Sox. okay now it's about to sound like i'm going to be shitting all over this but i i don't think it hurts the red Sox. um But on the other hand, as Charlie started to get to towards the end of his take, I don't think Theo Epstein is going to be the savior here. And if you go back to his Red Sox tenure, which was quite a while ago, you know, it's been 13, 14 years since he was last, you know, leading this front office. If you go back to that entire tenure, there was a lot of sustainability starting from 2003 all the way through 2011 when he wrapped up. Every year we went into each season with the expectation we could have a deep run in the postseason and possibly even win a championship. There was never a transitional period. There was never a retooling period. There was never a rebuilding period. Sustainability was awesome. Then he goes to the Cubs, started off as a bit of a rebuild. You had to wait for Bryant to come up. You had to wait for Schwarber to come up. Um, The Rizzo trade happened early on, the Lester signing. They had to develop Kyle Hendricks. Um, They got Jake Arrieta, who was kind of a scrap heap guy, uh, into his 30s by that point. They got a couple of good years out of him before he hit free agency. But... It was a short four-year window that they were good. 
and then they weren't good. There was no sustainability there. There was no more stud prospects getting called up. Schwarber kind of fizzled out and then kind of found it a, a few years later in Washington, brought it to Boston, and then carried it over to the Phillies. And Chris Bryant, I mean, he was, I think, an MVP in his rookie year. And then what wasn't, he was still a very good player for the next few years, but he's had an Andrew Benintendi like fall off. And it's, it's been a long time since Theo was, you know, considered to be one of the best in the sport. You know, by the time he got done with the Cubs after 2020, I mean, I'm not even sure he was top five at that point. He certainly wasn't you know, as innovative as Alex Anthopoulos, Andrew Friedman, and, uh, you know, the Astros front office. I, I hate to give Jeffrey Lunau credit because he ended up being a dirtbag, but, you know, he was one of the best. And that, that dynasty is still kind of rolling in a way in Houston. But I, I so I just, I don't know that he's going to be the savior here. And pitching was never really his strong suit outside of Lester. Kyle Hendricks was, you know, is a pretty good two-ish, maybe more of a three-type, you know, rotation guy. Um, there wasn't a ton of epic trades with the Cubs. I mean, the, the Hayward one was a disaster, especially once he extended him. Um, they, he never really had a bullpen with the Cubs. The year they won the World Series, he rented Chapman, and, you know, that worked out okay, but... I just, I felt like the magic was gone. And you look at what's the glaring weakness right now with the Red Sox. It's still pitching. It's still pitching. And this, this rotation does not look good. There is a ton of pressure on Lucas Giolito this year. And I, I, I think we'd be taking a lot for granted if we said he was definitely going to go back to form. So you know, it is what it is. I it's he's certainly not going to hurt the you know the front office, but he's another cook in the kitchen, and there's tons of cooks in the kitchen in Boston. It's tough to really assign accountability. I mean, who do you assign accountability to? It's almost unfair to do it to Breslow. I feel like I think having. Epstein back is kind of like a savior to Sam Kennedy. Now Kennedy can get off to the side here, not be so prominent anymore, uh, not be taking as many bullets. So I, I think that's good for Kennedy, uh, which could be good for the fan base. But I don't know. I just, I still believe the best possible outcome going back to October when we were looking for an executive was still a Brandon Gomes type guy, a James click type guy who was going to come in and have the freedom to clean house, install his own front office and transform us to, you know, a, you know, a, a modern way of thinking, you know, the, the way teams do transactions right now are nothing like what Theo was dealing with you know, in the early 2000s. Prospects are more valuable than ever. Trades are way different. The free agent market is insane. 
you have to get a lot more creative almost. So, you know, that that's the the stuff going on today isn't isn't stuff that we really saw with with Theo. So any any thoughts on uh Well, I guess my question is like why was he brought in, do you think then? Like is he here to just be a PR win or do you think he can actually get through to Henry that the current formula that they've been operating under over the last four or five years is not going to be successful in Boston and that if they're going to get back to winning, they're going to have to spend, you know, and you can look at Theo, when he took over, I mean, the, the payroll was just above, the luxury tax payroll was just above $100 million. And in 2011, it was at 170. So he increased the payroll of the Red Sox. He convinced John Henry to do that by almost $70 million during his time here with the Red Sox. That's a big jump. And, you know, with, with the luxury tax continuing to climb season after season, is he going to be able to say to Henry, like, this is what it's going to take. Are you on board to win or are you just here to own the Red Sox? And I don't know. I, I have a feeling Henry could be the guy to get through to Hen or uh, Epstein could be the guy to get through to Henry and say, it's time to put some money back into the team. That's the best I, case scenario is that I, I agree. Yeah. Go, go yeah, ahead, Charlie. I, yeah. So, so real quick, I, I think, you know, one of the points I was going to say, Mike already touched up on, um, but you know that that's a, a good sign that we're aligned in that sense. That uh, I don't think he was brought in to just be a PR. I think that was the beginning, because the Boston Red Sox are one of the most storied franchise franchises in all of sports in North America. We fell so quickly from top tier team in all of baseball, one of the most recognized names, brands, icons, whatever you want to call it, in the country to a team in Major League Baseball, a team in North America. Theo Epstein is going to be able to elevate, and as Micah said again, I think it's going to be one of the few people that can get in John Henry's ear and say, listen, this small ball thing isn't the only thing that we're going to be able to do to win the, the World Series. What we did was one aspect within Moneyball to, you know, get it so that we could win a World Series here. Whatever it is that he needs to say, I think Theo Epstein is one of the few people on the planet that is going to be able to get through. Because naturally, every owner of any franchise wants to win or should be winning. There are very few owners in professional sports that have their feet dipped in 23 different ponds. Very few people are in John Henry's situation where he owns a premier soccer team. He owns an NHL team. He owns a major league baseball team. He's got an affiliation with, I believe, LPGA. So the list goes on and on and on. There's even a NASCAR team. I believe they have one race car driver, Terry. You watch NASCAR. They have one guy for the Fenway Roush group. Um, if I, and I don't watch anymore, but if they're still together, that's what they used to be known. It was a Fenway, Fenway Roush Racing, right? Yeah, it's Roush Fenway Keselowski Racing. And I, for the Thank life you. of me, I can't figure out 
what the stakes are. So what stake? No idea. Yeah, I, it's it's hard to find no that idea. information. Right. But but ultimately, what it comes back to is that the OFC, you know, again to what Micah said, one of the very few people on the planet I think is going to be able to get into John Henry's ear and say, "Listen, if the goal is to really win a World Series or to actually be a relevant Major League Baseball team, not just in the AL East, not in the American League, but in all of baseball." This is what you're going to have to do, and no more of the BS games. Stop playing the bleepity bleep games because it's not working, and fans aren't stupid, and they know what's going on. So you're not going to be able to continue shedding payroll and making fans around all of the country think that the Boston Red, the Boston Red Sox are, one, a team to be reckoned with, and two, a team that has ownership and management that care about the longevity of the team and then also the overall health of the team because morale right now not doing so good for a a, a plethora of reasons and winning 78 games back-to-back seasons being a fifth place team year in and year out not really good for morale no one is saying yes i want to come spend the next three four six eight years of my career in boston a team that doesn't really have the support of ownership theo epstein can change that let me give a piece of history here. I'm not sure if you guys are aware of this. And I ha- I didn't know I was going to talk about this, so I didn't have time to go back and fact check it. So if any extreme history nerd, you know, picks up on something that I may be inaccurate on, I apologize. But I think I'll be close. So John Henry was previously the owner of the Miami Marlins. And and was the owner in 1997 when they won the World Series with Dave Dombrowski as their GM. The Expos were going to be moving out of Montreal to go to Washington, and they were going to be the Nationals at that point. Jeffrey Loria owned the Expos. And so Henry was in Florida. Loria was in... Montreal and the Red Sox were up for sale. Bud Selig at the time wanted an owner in Boston that was going to basically operate it like a big market team. And they identified John Henry as being more willing to do that than Jeffrey Luria. So they worked out this like three-way transaction almost where Henry ended up selling the the Marlins to Jeffrey Loria because they weren't going to be a big market team. Henry ends up buying the Red Sox. And then when the Expos ended up in, in Washington, the Lerner family bought them. So Henry was almost installed in Boston to, to keep it a big market team. So it's just kind of a weird piece of a weird piece of history there. But getting into why it happened, uh, as far as Epstein coming back, okay? This whole offseason has been an avalanche that's built up and built up and built up month after month to be this massive avalanche of bad publicity, nothing but turmoil. And it started with not being able to attract big names to take that job. So that's where the avalanche started. And then, and then Breslow emerges. He sounds like a smart guy. He, you know, was thought to be a future GM anyway. So let's give it to Breslow. 
And then, you know, we kind of went through the motions. The playoffs came and went. Then the GM meetings. All of November was quiet. We expected fireworks at the at the winter meetings. Nothing happened. And the avalanche started building and building even more. Names started coming off the board. And I think the front office was start or not the front office ownership was starting to look at Breslow like, oh geez, maybe, maybe. Maybe he wasn't ready for this. Maybe he doesn't know what he's doing. And, you know, and then more names come off the board. Winter weekend was a bit of a disaster. I mean, I don't think it was quite the angry mob that it was last year with Bloom, but it wasn't great. And, you know, Sam Kennedy gave these defiant interviews called Red Sox fans liars like the the publicity was just getting worse and this isn't an ownership group that knows how to handle publicity so now Epstein is back and I don't know when the timing of it all started Uh, if you read the uh, I can't remember it was this Sean McAdam article or the Jen McCaffrey article they've been trying to get him for a few months apparently and Finally, he agreed to do it. But what's hilarious to me is Sam Kennedy said that Craig Breslow, who again is there, was their 11th choice. I, I love pointing that out because I had a list of 10 names of highly regarded executives that said no to the Red Sox. So, you know, Breslow, roughly their 11th choice. Sam Kennedy says he needs an executive coach. (laughs) Their boy needs an executive coach. And it's like this front office. They're they're just trying to get control of it. And we don't even know if they have control of it at this point, even with Epstein back. And if you're Breslow, I mean, you were under Epstein for four years in Chicago, and now he's kind of under him again. So... I don't know that right now I feel like it's still Breslow's team, but I don't know that it's going to be in a few months. Maybe Epstein is going to be carrying tons of influence. Maybe they'll make it look like it's Breslow's team, but, but it's still, it could be, it could be Epstein making more of the decisions. I don't know, but to me, it still looks like a mess. It still looks like a mess. And Sam Kennedy wanted to keep the band together. He wanted to keep O'Halloran, Eddie Romero, Raquel Ferreira. Eventually, you have to move on. You have to you have to bring in new people with fresher mindsets. You know, it's everything's evolving in sports. And if the Red Sox ownership does not embrace that, it's going to be stale and we're going to fall behind. And I think we are behind right now. I think we've fallen way behind right now as far as, you know, operating like some of these really successful teams. The Braves have been good since 2019, and they're going to be good through 2029 or beyond. So are the Dodgers. I, it's, it's frustrating to me. You know, nostalgia is really cool, like I said in the tweet, but nostalgia is in the past. It's not the future. Micah. You talk about the Red Sox front office. 
And according to my research, and I really tried hard to make sure this is accurate. So if anyone can prove me wrong, please let me know. But how many front office members that were underneath Craig Breslow or underneath Theo Epstein between his Red Sox and Chicago years have become general managers or president of baseball operations, do you think? I think just Jed Hoyer. Uh, well, Zach Scott, I guess, w- briefly with the Mets. So that would be two. Wasn't there somebody within Milwaukee's uh, team that also got got in there? Was Stern? Maybe two. I don't know. Can I help you guys out? Because you have to really list. Because the number is 11. 11 members that worked under Theo Epstein became general managers or president of baseball operations. And like, to me, that is the biggest takeaway from this is that Theo is excellent and I, at identifying talent and cultivating a culture where you are empowering the people around you. And you talk about how the front office currently like, you know, Eddie Romero and O'Halloran, like they had their opportunity to be picked for the job but they weren't viewed as qualified candidates to get the job or else they would have gotten it. They were in the system, the Red Sox organization for a long time, but there's a reason they didn't get it. So my hope is that Epstein is able to come in and continue to build that culture and bring in really intelligent minds. And the Red Sox used to be like the, almost like, the place to go to become a future GM. And they've gotten away from that for a long time. And I hope they start getting those, those really young and creative minds. And I hope Epstein's part of that because I'm telling you, he, from everything you read, he is absolutely brilliant. And I just hope they, they keep bringing people in and that the, the better the front office is, the better the product will be on the field. I, I 100% believe in that. And if you can get more people, and I, maybe you have to get people out. Romero may have to go. I don't know. But if they can bring people in and be creative, I think that could go a long way in getting the Red Sox back to, to being successful in the future. A couple other names that I guess that came up with Sade. Hazen, Charrington. So it is somewhat of a, of a lengthy list. Um, only at the moment though, you know, Hazen and Sade are, you know, thriving. Who knows if Sherrington was in a big market, perhaps, you know, he, he could be doing well, but with Pittsburgh, but, but here's the thing though. If Epstein's not going to be the guy, if he's really only truly going to be a consultant, is Boston really an attractive? Is it any more attractive than it was a few months ago? Because now you got to work with Epstein. Are they going to feel like they have more influence than Theo Epstein? You know, when the next guy comes in, I, I just I don't think so. 
I feel like it's always been Epstein's show, but he just works so well with other people. I mean, look at the Cubs. Like the the, the guy that was underneath Epstein is now running the Cubs. Ted and it's just, yeah. You know, and it's like that's what you kind of want is it doesn't necessarily have to. And I don't think with Theo it's ever been this is my show. It's my way. You know, it, it's been a collaborative a collaborative effort from the group that is he's a part of. And I, I just, that's what I want to see because I, I think it's probably been a collaborative effort, but I don't know if there's been anybody really firmly calling the shots over the last couple of years. Like you have a lot of voices, but nobody's saying, okay, this is the right move. And I'm hoping that with Breslow working with Epstein, that it's very much, okay, we have these ideas. Now let's do this. Let's have a direction because they've been directionless over the last five years. They, they truly have. Um, and I think part of that is the, the, the spending limitations that have been on, put on the team by Henry. Um, but I mean, even this off season, you know, whether you have, you know, 225 is the number or whatever it is, they haven't executed a plan. There has been no plan. Their plan was to, really add to the starting rotation and they have as many starters going into 2024 as they did when the off season started because they just swapped out sale for Giolito. So they didn't execute that plan at all. Do I like Giolito better than sale for 2024? I do, especially with the durability piece, but they told us starting pitching is really important, but they haven't backed that up. So I'm hoping with Epstein, and again, it may not happen in 2024, but I'm hoping there's a, a clear vision and a clear plan on what to do, even if there is spending limitations to a degree, which there shouldn't be. But if there are, like, no, this is my limit, and this is what I, I, I have to work within these restrictions, but go out and execute a plan. Go out and get one or two starters and say, well, this was the biggest need. This is what we're doing. But I just don't see that with the last couple of off season. It's been very throwing, you know, just crap at the wall and hoping something sticks. That's not a plan. And I just, I really want to see a, a clear vision. And I, I think Breslow is a guy who could definitely have a clear vision, but again, he's, he's brand new at this. And I think bringing a guy like Epstein in could be huge for this organization. What if, what if Breslow is just not a good communicator or a good negotiator? I, I don't know if you can be the chief baseball officer unless you are, because maybe that's a problem. Like in real life, you know, off the podcast, I love wheeling and dealing. And if somebody wants to buy a car, I hope they take me with them because I'll, I'll get them the price. I'll get them really close. And, you know, I'll do the dance with the salesman. And if I'm selling something, I get my price. And it's just it's it's an area where I I find a lot of comfort. And but not everybody does. A lot of people have a lot of anxiety about that. It's a skill, no doubt about it. Like we know Heim Bloom was not good at it. Like we, we were told that other people didn't want to work with him, you know, but then you look at the the person who came before him, Dombrowski, I think everybody would probably describe him as a deal maker. Yeah, exactly. 
And I wanted to touch on that. I, I got to thinking this, and I tweeted it maybe an hour and a half ago. I asked, I asked Twitter, I, I said, can a case be made that Dave Dombrowski is a better baseball executive than Theo Epstein? Now, I'm not going to die on either hill, but uh, what I am willing to say very emphatically is that it's not cut and dry. Dave Dombrowski has been to the World Series five times. He's only won two. Epstein's won an extra one. And... Epstein gets a lot of the glory for two reasons. Number one, he's our guy. And number two, I just think he was in the right place at the right time with the teams he he had. You know, he, he arrived at the Red Sox and reversed the curse. It, it, if his three championships came with the Tigers and the Marlins, it, it's not such a romantic story anymore with, with Epstein. So he was in the right place at the right time, and I think he gets extra points for that, and that's fine. That's fine. He He's a talented executive either way, but Dave Dombrowski was doing this long before him, and here he is, 16 years Epstein Sr., and he's still doing it at a very high level. Their skill sets are a little bit different. You know, Epstein was able to draft and develop guys, I think a little bit better than Dombrowski. Dombrowski developed, you know, Verlander came up under, under him and, and, you know, a few other players, but, but Epstein was probably better there. I think Dombrowski's way better with trades. I, I would give him a serious edge over Epstein. And I think he's just braver, you know, when it comes to stuff. So I, I don't know if Dombrowski's better, but, it's not cut and dry by any means. I think you bring up a really interesting point regarding both of them. Uh, they, you know, Dave Dombrowski is willing to mortgage the farm to bring you a title. Theo Epstein did not do that. Theo Epstein was a little bit more crafty, was able to get some pieces that he wanted and similar to you, Terry, you know, got his guy, got the guys that he wanted. And, He's not married to anybody. Theo Epstein traded away Nomar Garcia-Para. I don't think that Dave Dombrowski would do something like that. Now, on the flip side, Dave Dombrowski, totally cool shipping off all the prospects to get the pieces that he wanted. I don't know if Theo Epstein would have done something like that. So I, I honestly, you know, similar to what you said, I don't think I'd die on the sword for either person. I think I would air on the side of Theo Epstein, who was able to bring two to us. Um, and not that, he, you know, he brought double the, the titles. I like the idea of Theo being able to make arguably the most controversial trade in Red Sox history since Babe Ruth, like being moved because everyone loved Nomar Garcia Parr. He wanted to be the highest paid shortstop. They said, no, it's not happening. Off he went. And it felt like minutes after that. That's a trade that, as he, he so eloquently put it on national TV in an interview, had said, if this trade does not work, it will detrimentally hurt this team for years to come. And luckily for us, it didn't. It ended up working out. The Red Sox won the World Series in 2004. A couple years later, a couple chips added. Some other folks removed. They do it again. So I, I don't know if I would say... Either one is right. I know that me personally, I would probably raise my hand for Theo's corner. That's all I'll say. 
Yeah, I, I'm just saying, I mean, we, we've kind of been spoiled <laughs> for, for a little while. And even with Sherrington, I mean, we did get a World Series in, during his three years, you know, leading the front office. But I don't know. I just, it's tough to really, like I said, going forward, I, I, I like to be able to assign accountability. I'm all about accountability, and I don't know who to give it to. You know, you could give it to Breslow. You could give it to Kennedy. You could give it to Henry. And now Epstein's in the fray. And there's still a few guys out there. And, you know, maybe if we get a couple surprise signings, maybe we can turn that over and say, you know, that maybe maybe Epstein came in and said, look, just just do it. Just do it and make the fans happy and try to be competitive. That's the new pipe dream <laughs> at this point. And it probably still won't happen, but. I just, I'm not, I, I don't think he's going to be the savior. I, re, I really don't. When you talk about big contracts, Epstein did have some misses that I do think it's, it's worth just mentioning quick. Um, obviously with the Cubs, the Hayward contract, I think was just a train wreck. I really think that was, I mean, they it, it helped them win a World Series, but then it it really handcuffed them moving forward. Um, and then if you go to the Red Sox, I mean, the Dice K one, I mean, it worked out again. It, it it won, it helped win them a title, but the back end of the deal was just not great. Um, so I mean, again, I I'm usually the person who would say, "Did it win you a title?" And if the answer is yes to that, then I'll say, "You know what? I can't complain about the contract." But it, it again, it can handcuff you later on. Um, but Carl Crawford, I mean, that deal was a train wreck. Uh, Adrian Gonzalez, I mean, he probably would have been okay, but you know, they they really those two those two signings really put them in a in a tough spot because they dealt them to L.A., but they kind of sucked for like a two year window because of those signings. So that didn't really work out. Um, but obviously the home run was the Manny extension that, that was, that was the big one, but you know, that happened in Oh three, they, they extended and that was like right when, when Theo, um, no, I think that was, started. that was 2001. I think that was Dan Duquette. Wasn't. Yeah. Yeah. Dan Duquette signed that deal. And, and here's uh, a, here's a couple of other things. Um, he didn't even trade for Beckett and Lowell that happened while he was gone for three months. the, GM by committee that they had the four guys. Uh, so they brought in those two. The John Lackey signing wasn't super great. He Epstein was long gone by the time 2013 came around. And Lackey finally had a really good year from start to finish. And then was a huge factor in, in the playoffs. Just as big as Lester really, you know, was nails outdueled Verlander in that one to nothing win we had. And then I think he I think it was Lackey that clinched the ALCS and the World Series. Pitched the final game of each series. And he came out of the bullpen once. <laughs> Cause so I remember that. Yeah. So 
you could you could even pick apart Epstein's tenure in Boston a little bit, you know, but you know, it is what it is. I mean, it's so hard to just win one anyway, right? So yeah. We'll we'll see. We'll see how it goes, but Let's uh, shift gears here for a few minutes. Uh, Justin Turner has signed a one-year, $13 million deal with the Toronto Blue Jays. And um, that's an excellent signing for them. <laughs> that's a, I think that's a home run. My biggest complaint about them is they're never super clutch offense, offensively. You don't you don't have Vladimir Guerrero, Bo Bichette having those big iconic October moments, and I think Justin Turner will kind of bring that a little bit, and he'll kind of keep that that line moving for them, much like he did here. But Micah, what were your thoughts on Turner going to Toronto? Well, you hate to see him go with you know within the division that that like stings extra. But you hear that, I mean, it almost sounded like he expected to be back with the team based on the quotes um, that he he gave during his introductory press conference with the Blue Jays. So, I mean, that hurts just because I, I think he wanted to be back. He loved it here. But the Red Sox didn't show any interest in really bringing him back. And one one year for 13 mil, I think, was the deal. Like, if the Red Sox can't pay – a one-year $13 million contract when they have 40-some million dollars until the first luxury tax, you know, that just – that's frustrating. Um, he, I think he was their best offensive player last year consistently throughout the entire season. Um, I just – I loved watching him hit, and he was a leader. Now, it is possible that the Red Sox do not want to really tie – up the the designated hitter spot um, because I really think at the age of 39, that's probably what he has to be almost. He probably could spell, if he would have been back, he could have spelled Casas for a couple of games at first, but he really is a DH. Um, and if they want Yoshida to play more DH because of his defense, then that really doesn't fit within the current roster. But they need a right-handed bat. You have a guy who's proven he can hit at Fenway Park. I mean, the park is practically built for his swing, and they just showed zero interest. So it, it makes me wonder, are they even going to replace his bat? Do they have a plan in place, or are they just going to go with the current roster and say guys are going to step up, they're going to improve from last year, and so be it. I I, I don't know how you don't replace your best hitter. Um but seeing him go to the Blue Jays, like you said, Terry, I think that that takes so much pressure off of Vladdy Jr. and Bichette, and I, I think it was a terrific signing. I, I think he could really help them get to the playoffs um, because this team, the Blue Jays, their window is now, and I think that that's a big signing for them. Terry, you talked about the Toronto Blue Jays not really being that clutch. They just got someone who – Basically had his best career year at the age of 38 and Toronto in theory could potentially have actually 
I don't say potentially. They do have a more lethal offense. There's going to be a lot more runs to drive in, uh, depending on where he is in the lineup. I think Vlad Guerrero Jr. is going to take a step up. You have Bo Bichette, who's there. I don't really know what happened to Kevin Biggio. He's not really, you know, the threat that we once thought he was going to be. Um, and then they also have George Springer there. So you got three bangers in that lineup. And then you got Justin Turner in there, who's a professional hitter. Uh, I really don't see how Toronto could possibly lose on this. But, you know, Turner was supposed to get $13.4 million this year, a one-year commitment. There was no conversation about re-signing, restructuring, redoing, and, you know, adding an extra year to that deal because then he would have opted into that deal. And then you're really, you're really, okay, you're paying 13.4 for this year, as opposed to 6.7 million to not have him play in addition to his contract that he got with the Toronto Blue Jays. So the Blue Jays are paying him one for 11, right? I Um, believe it was one for 11, 13 and a half. I think 13 and a half. He's also making 6.7 to not play for the Red Sox this year. So the guy is making 20.1 million this year. So I I don't know how you I don't know how anyone in Toronto could possibly be upset. I don't think anybody is. If anyone the only people that are upset are the ones that don't know baseball. Um I understand where you're coming from about JD Mart uh, JD Martinez just G, Justin Turner. My god, I can't believe I just flubbed that. Justin Turner in theory, probably would have been a DH. He could have spelled Rafi Devers at third base for several games out of the year. I'm a little bit concerned with the injury that he's got because the older you are, the longer it takes to heal. I'm learning that firsthand. It does not take a couple of weeks for injuries to heal. My hip has been banged up for months. So um, I don't know. I mean, I think it really clearly showed if they couldn't bring back Justin Turner – you're not trying to you're not trying to win and you're clearly not trying to do what's in the best interest of the franchise. So this honestly I'm curious to know if the UFC still would have come back if the Red Sox had re-signed Justin Turner. You know, if, if if Turner comes back, do the Red Sox look as bad? I don't think they look good, but I'll say this much. Um, Turner comes back, that at least will show your fans, okay, cool. We're at least giving it the illusion that we're trying. And I think the same illusion right now is happening with, with Theo Epstein coming back to Boston. I'm, I'm, I'm now holding Craig Breslow blameless for 2024. If anything, if, if this year is a complete crapshoot, which right now with what I'm seeing is my expectation as it is for, I think everybody, you know, all five of us, but I'm curious to see what the OFC and Craig Breslow can do in 25 and 26. I would like to give him a minimum three-year leash. I don't want to see Breslow booted after one or two years. Well, I mean, if next winter is a dud, it's just going to be hard to, you know, it's going to be hard to really have a ton of confidence. But, But getting over to Turner real quick, he brings a lot of balance to Toronto. He brings balance in terms of performance being clutch, but he brings balance as far as leadership and personality as well. He is a perfect fit for that franchise and they are going to love him if he can stay healthy. 
And at the moment, I don't think they have a third baseman. Matt Chapman is still a free agent. He's like a ghost right now. Nobody's talking about him. Nobody apparently wants him. Uh, you know, he'll end up somewhere, but probably for a lot less money than in a lot less years than people expected. But um, but I, I think Turner probably will be a DH, but I bet they're looking at him like a, a backup solution for 30 to 40 games at third base if he has to. I just, he's going to hit 400 against the Red Sox, and it's going to be so frustrating. <laughs> we're, we're at the point now where... So many players like make huge impacts on the stupid one-year deals we get them for, and he's he's gonna get a video montage for it because of it. You know, if Hunter Renfro was a little less controversial in the clubhouse, he would have got one too. You know, it's just crazy. I, I think it's a real bad look that you have a guy who essentially is saying like, "I wanted to stay here," and it's not even a, a superstar player that wanted to stay here. And he's a good player, but he's not a superstar, but a good player who was willing to give up probably maybe his last year playing professional baseball. Maybe he's got another year or two after, but he was willing to stay in Boston and play in Boston. And like, how do you attract talent? I, I we've talked about this, but like you have guys who want to be here and you're not interested in signing them. So how do you, convince players who you know are on the fence of coming here or have great offers from other organizations how do you convince them to come to boston i i i think they're in a period where it's like unless they prove they're back to winning i don't know how they're going to attract big name free agents um maybe one falls into their lap like maybe jordan montgomery actually falls into their lap somehow i i don't expect that honestly but I think we're at the point where it's like someone's going to have to take a real gamble on this team or they have to win with what they have. And then eventually someone will sign on and be like, oh, you know, this team's back to winning and they're serious. But right now, I, it's a problem. If Casas becomes a superstar this year and one or two of the Abreu or Duran's has a really good year and then Devers has a really good year it'll be viewed as a team with a very strong core and and perhaps you know maybe that helps it get more attractive maybe the internal guys help get it there um and, and Bayo could be another guy if he takes a big step forward maybe it looks attractive for uh you know a big name pitcher next year but they've kind of botched it otherwise I mean, they didn't get a guy to make it look attractive for next year. They didn't bring someone in to, you know, a cornerstone guy for other free agents to be like, I want to go play with him endeavors and Casas. That never happened. And they're penny pinching. Like they want Adam Duvall back. They could have him in two seconds if they wanted him, but they're, they're penny pinching. And Justin Turner said the, the negotiations never got off the ground. Basically, the Red Sox never even gave him an offer. And part of me wonders if John Henry and Sam Kennedy are just so bitter that 
he actually exercised the the opt out to get the six point seven million. Maybe they're bitter about that, and you know they're kind of holding it against him. I don't know. It wouldn't surprise me. How pathetic me. would that be, though? Honestly, you're going to blame a player for exercising something that was built into his contract. That's poppycock. Like that would be the the saddest, most embarrassing bit of truth if that's actually the case. I would be embarrassed. I hope. I hope Justin Turner hits 500 against the Red Sox if that's the case. It's, that's embarrassing. It's a spiteful ownership group that that holds grudges. And yeah, it, I mean, they haven't even apologized to Dave Dombrowski yet for for the cold hearted way that they, you know, fired him, basically. And that's happening a lot, though, in sports. People are getting the, the can right before or people are getting the can before they can actually announce or even state to their crew. Hey, guys, listen, this is happening. I just want to thank you all for your time your dedication and your willingness to do whatever it took to get us to the title and get us to the show. I don't like when teams do that to members of leadership because that to me, that's just a person. Like I get it. Like we're all replaceable on this planet. Right. But someone that's dedicated a significant amount of their energy, time, life, towards bringing you what you ultimately want and you don't give them that, it just makes you look weak. It really does. And, you know, this recently, I know no one's a Formula One fan like me, Haas F1 team did the same thing to their team principal, and I thought that was soft. Like, I just thought that was really pathetic. And and I don't blame Dave Dombrowski for um, holding a grudge, uh, grudge against the Red Sox for that. And, you know, it is what it is they'll find ways to punish us as they have go back to the Lester situation, which is like ancient history at this point, about 10 years ago, you know, they were mad at him the whole time. They weren't mad at themselves for botching it. They were mad at Lester. Of course. Like, so, of so course they were, it's not a big shock to me that Turner's not back. And, you know, they're, they're purposely trying to give these guys the third best offer so that they don't have to spend the money to actually bring them back. That's what it, it really looks like. And they've already botched it and they've kind of admitted that by bringing Epstein back. And, um, how many times did they say that John Henry over the winter was extremely committed to this team? It's a high priority. And then, Come to find out in the last 48 hours, they're like, well, you know, Epstein's here because Henry wasn't, you know, being dedicated enough. It's just this this front office. They they don't even not only are they bad at at baseball operations, they're bad at lying. They're bad at everything. There's nothing this ownership group is good at. Everything that was good about this organization is long gone. It's just so frustrating. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead, oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, no, go ahead, Mike. I'm sorry. I, I've been talking. Go ahead. I was just going to say whoever their PR person is should be fired because they have no idea how to create good PR. I didn't know they had one, to be honest. I didn't know they had a PR person. I mean, that's how bad it is. And here's the thing. Anybody who's ever worked in corporate America, if you've had a manager, anything like that, and they suck, they just absolutely blow. I've had multiple I would happily give you their names. I won't do that on the air because if they are listening, I think it'd be the most embarrassing moment ever to be called out. 
Awful leaders, awful managers. Guess what? The worst thing that a manager can do, do you have any idea what that is? Aside from throw people under the bus when it's their fault. Oh, I mean, we could go a million places. Okay, we could that. go with a long list, right? <laughs> we but, could, but we the, could... the, the theme. Okay. What's the theme here? Accepting accountability for mistakes. That's the theme. That's the sign of a manager and not a leader. We can all be managers. Very few can be leaders. If you do not accept accountability, first off, if you can't accept accountability, I don't think you should be a teacher. So, Micah, for those people that you work with, because you strike me as a strong, level-headed person, there are people I'm sure you work with in your school system, in your school department, as I have in, in, in a school department as well, who don't accept accountability for mistakes that they make. They are managers. They are replaceable. They are not people people. They're in it for themselves and not anybody else. So that's the, the, grand, the grander scheme here is not accepting accountability. And that's what the Boston Red Sox ultimately did with Lester, ultimately did with a bunch of other players, managers, situations in general. Because the Lester one was so bad. I think the, the Lester one might go down as probably the worst one for us in the last couple of years. I think the last 10, 15 years, it's probably the worst one. Had Devers not re-signed with the Boston Red Sox, that probably would have been the worst. And, and I don't think it would have been close. Yeah, I mean, you have Mookie Betts, Don Orsillo, like the list goes oh, on. Oh, Don Orsillo was off. That was terrible. That was Even so Bogarts bad. Bogarts is there, though. Bogarts, I mean, they botched that one. You think so? Because I don't think he wanted to be here. I really think he wanted to be paid like the top shortstop. And here's the thing. He was good. He was never great. He was never the best shortstop in Major League Baseball. He was never the best third baseman in Major League Baseball. Like there were people that were running circles around Xander Bogarts. And I think Terry was the one that, that coined that expression of the phantom day off after a day off. Who the hell else gets that in Major League Baseball? Xander Bogarts is the only guy that when they don't play on Monday, we'll see you Wednesday. What do you need another day off for? Well, that's an Alex Cora thing, I think. You know, Mookie. I don't know. Mookie. I don't know, was, T. Yeah, but he was Xander was citing like the Francisco Lindor deal, which was worth like three forty, and Tatis and all that. And so I just, I don't. It was unreasonable to expect Xander to come back. Now Bloom didn't have to offer him three years, ninety million, like. That never had to be put out into the universe. He could have just let him go into free agency and, you know, he would have signed somewhere else. I'm glad we didn't sign Xander. You never heard me all of last year saying, oh, they, we, we'd we be doing so much better right now if we had Xander. That was never a thing on this podcast from any host. Um, so I, I'm there's no remorse there at all, uh, you know, for, for me. And, you know. But like I said, they just can't. They don't know how to lie. They they need a press secretary is what they need, you know. Not that that works good, you know, in politics. But, you know, it's just such a terrible group. And we just destroy them daily. And so do the beat writers and the national writers and the radio guys in Boston, you know, on the Sports Hub and WEI. But we'll when, is, when is enough? When is enough going to be enough, though? <sighs> Do you think Theo Epstein is that point of enough is enough? 
Because I think that's it. I think that's it. I, I really, really do. I don't think that the Red Sox owners want to continue being called out for sucking, for making poor decisions. And it's month after month. Well, I, I think they're hoping that he stops the avalanche that I was talking about. And I don't I don't know that you can. And I don't know that, like I said, it's going to work out the way everyone is boldly assuming it's going to work out. I, I hope I'm wrong. Uh, I hope Breslow just becomes this brilliant executive. You know, I think we've all hoped that from the beginning, but we just haven't seen it. And, right. you know, so... We'll see. I, I think the I think the avalanche absolutely can be stopped. I think it's it's very simple. I think Jordan Montgomery it, could stop it. Well, but <laughs> it, it, all it is is investing in the team again. Like, and it doesn't even have to be three hundred million dollar payrolls. Just fill the holes on the roster, one way or another. Don't leave them empty, and don't leave them with. Well, we have a reliever who could be a starter if it really goes well. That's not a solution for a 162-game season. If they invest in the team, the avalanche stops. I, I truly believe that. It, you just have to give a damn about the team. I mean, we've developed three guys in the in the last quarter century. Lester Buckholtz, and, and I'm saying Bayo. I'm, that, that might be a reach at this point, but I'm going to throw him in there. Those are the only three in a quarter century. Some people might want to try to throw Erod in there, but that's that's not valid because he was basically major league ready when we got him, and he debuted that next May. So, so Erod was not a homegrown guy. So you you've got three guys in a quarter century, and then you make this brilliant decision to stop investing in free agents. So now, like, how's it going to work? You're you're already not developing, and and now you're not spending. So where do the wins come from? Uh, so that that's the frustration here, and I w they're going to have to get hurt, you know, in the wallet. We're going to have to have some empty seats this year. I think that's what stops the avalanche most likely. If you're not going to make any more moves this winter, then it's us, the fans, not investing in the product that they gave us, that's kind of how you stop the avalanche. Any uh, final thoughts before we wrap? Yeah, I'll be watching the Red Sox play a bunch this year, but not at Fenway Park. I'm excited <laughs> to see all those games for half the cost and the same result. So that being said, I'm really excited. Yep, I'm not traveling. Uh, it takes me about seven and a half hours from where I live to Fenway Park. I'm not paying the gas money. I'm not paying the hotel money. I'm not paying the the hot dog money. I'm not doing it. I'll watch from my couch. I can have a nice beverage next to me, and I'll watch that way. But there's no way, if the product is as bad as I think we believe it will be, um, there's no way I would pay hundreds of dollars to make the trip up uh, from Pennsylvania. No shot. What, what hotel do you stay at? Just out of curiosity. Do you have one that you like or do you just price them out? I had one last year that I stayed at, but I'm blanking on the name. It was like a 20 minute walk. I walked to the park. Um, uh, Wasn't the Beacon, Beacon Street in? That's where we No, were. no, oh, no. Okay. Give me a sec. 
I, I I'll just say right now, I, I love the Beacon Street Inn. It's an old school bed and breakfast. Um, you know, it's a very kind of older building, but you know, well maintained and the rooms don't have numbers. So it's like, there's the Boston commons room, the John F Kennedy room, you know, I, it's just a cool place to stay. And, and it's more of like a 30 minute walk, but beacon street's extremely safe. So you can walk up and down it, but there, there is the, there is the, the T does run up and down that street too. So it, you know, it's accommodating for everyone. I don't have an answer for you right now, and I'm okay. not going to take your time. Well, but... you couldn't have loved it that much then. If you don't even I, I did that. really enjoy it. I, I will. I did enjoy it. I did. Okay. All right. Well, we are just going to wrap on that. Uh, it was good to be back. Uh, it'd be nice to talk about a surprise signing, but we might wait several more days or an entire year before we get there. So we'll, uh, we'll talk to you soon one way or the other. Everyone have a great start to your week. Take care.